Well, good morning, CPC. On this lovely day, everyone enjoy uh, the sunshine and the somewhat warmth yesterday? Yeah, it was pretty nice, and uh, I am sure that everyone is excited about the big game uh, this afternoon uh, between the Seahawks and the Packers. So it'll be, uh, just kidding, just kidding. All right, well, um, as we've said a number of times when we have the videos, that sometimes we won't do the whole story. So rather than focusing on the temptations today, which we could have, we're gonna be focusing on Jesus's call to those first four disciples. And so our gospel reading for this morning will come from Mark chapter one, verses 14 through 20. And I invite you to hear these words. Mark writes, now after John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And as he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let's pray. God, we thank you this morning for the reality of your calling. We thank you, God, that you called those disciples long ago. We thank you that you have called us. And we pray, God, that you would open up our ears, our hearts, our eyes to you, to your presence to your calling, to your kingdom. And it's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. So Megan, uh, my wife, and I, uh, we are the kind of people of the ilk who, um, who we love to kind of sit there and say, remember when this happened or, or that happened? We've been together now. Uh, let's see here. I met her almost. Next month it'll be 10 years. And so we have you know, not nearly as much as some of you, but, but more than others. And so, um, and so we love to kind of just think back about those times. And, and since, uh, as, I, as I said, uh, not last week, we've, only, we've been here now just about a year. We've been spending some time talking about remember when we first got here and and one of those was remember when we first got here and then the very next day it snowed a foot and a half and 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 we weren't able to go anywhere really for a week that was awesome and, and, and so lots of these kind of remembering wins, right? And, uh, and so I personally have been doing some remember wins uh, when it came to the first time that I heard about the opening here at Zionsville Presbyterian Church. And before I had ever had any kind of phone interview or anything, I already had discovered much about you and about this 
area. It is amazing what you can gain from cyber stalking people and things, right? And so uh, before we had even ever, like I said, interviewed, I had already kind of gone on Google street maps and we had already kind of gone down Michigan road up by the church. I could kind of see some of the building uh, from Pennsylvania. We'd, we'd gone down main street of Zionsville. We'd, we'd even already picked out the coffee shop and the ice cream place both of which closed before we even got here. Um, so false advertising, but we thought that we knew what we wanted there. And Megan had already gone online to kind of see what kind of houses do they have in, in the Zionsville, Carmel, North Indy area. And, and she kind of seen what kind of prices we had and where we might, uh, might be a good fit for us. And uh, I, I, we'd already, you know, we of course got on the website quite a bit and we discovered, you know, a lot about ZPC, about the history. We'd, we'd kind of looked up the staff, you know, people like Scott, you know, we'd, we'd seen these things and we decided to look past them and keep going. And so... Um, <laughs> So we'd seen, we'd seen that. I'd seen the distance between myself and, and, and uh, my cousin who lives in Marion, Indiana. I wanted to see how far that was. We, I, I figured out the proximity between ZPC and the nearest Dunkin' Donuts, Starbucks, and Red Robin. I mean, we had done all of this work before I had ever talked to anyone from ZPC. Now, I know that sounds a little weird. And I, I realize, that it, I want you to be clear, it's not because I knew that I was a shoe-in for this call by no means. But I also knew that well before I even thought any more about this place, I wanted to do my homework. I wanted to do my due diligence. I wanted to make sure there were no major red flags. I mean, why even have an interview if there is not a red robin nearby? Amen? And so while it may be a bit strange, the reality is that almost all of us, before we pursue something, before we try something new or different or go someplace new, we do as much research as we possibly can. Which is why this story probably strikes most of us as being so odd. Like one of the most frequently, quest, probably the most frequently quest, frequent question asked when it comes to this particular passage is why in the world would Simon and Andrew and James and John all of a sudden just drop everything that they're doing, leave the nets, leave the boat, and just all of a sudden start following after this Jesus because he said, hey, follow me. I mean, where are the questions? Where's the search on Google? Where's the, the questions about, you know, well, can you just tell us where we're going? Or, or even just, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't quite catch that. Was that Jesus you said? I mean, where is any of the due diligence and the wisdom before they simply left everything and just went? We want more details because otherwise it's hard for us to even really picture ourselves in this story. Because none of us, few of us, if any at all, would ever just drop everything, all of the security, and just go after Jesus. Of course, Mark, as we talked about last Sunday, is not one for giving very many 
details. He, he never really describes things nearly as much as the other gospel writers, right? You recall that if you were here last Sunday, we, we talked about that. And so uh, the question with Mark is not always how much he says or how many details he gives, but is in how he says things, how he places things. And so one of the things that we have to think about when it comes to this particular story is what comes right around the disciples fleeing. And does Mark see that as being a sign of how the gospel writer or how the disciples were able to leave so quickly? Do you need me to do something with this? I'm happy to just grab. All right, there we go. I've been eating too much of late, so the cheeks are getting rounder. (laughs) And the thing that he says right before he talks to the disciples is this. He goes to Galilee and he says, the kingdom of God has come near. Believe, repent and believe the good news. And what would that have meant for the people there of Israel? It would have meant for those who heard it that Jesus, as N.T. Wright says, is saying that God, the living God, is on the move. That God is about to take control. That the way things have been is not the way things are going to continue to be. That there is something new that is happening. And it seems to me that what Mark is saying, what Mark is inferring is that the reason why the disciples were able to just simply leave everything and to follow the call of Jesus to follow him is because they wanted to be a part of this new thing that was happening. They wanted to be a part of the coming kingdom of God that Jesus said was near. And so they followed the call. Now, as I was thinking about this passage this week, I was struck by that word. It, it says specifically with uh, Andrew that, 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 that Jesus called them. And we talk about that word call quite a bit in our faith. A lot of times it's in stories like this. When, was, when did God call you? When did Jesus call you for the first time? When did you start following him? But one of the other ways we oftentimes use it is when we talk about pastors. A lot of times the question is asked is, is when did you get called to the ministry? It's a question that's asked to me. I'm sure Scott's been asked that question. It's just kind of a a common one. And so I'm glad that you asked. And so I will tell you. When I I, I told you last Sunday that I, when I was growing up, um, I was one who liked to talk a lot. And I had told my mother that I, that I knew that whatever I did when I grew up, I wanted to talk. That's the main thing. And so I went through a litany of things when I was kind of a young adult of trying to figure out all different jobs where I could talk a lot. And so first, when I went to college, I went to college, I was a communications major because I wanted to be a sports broadcaster. Huh? See, yeah, you were, yeah. Can you imagine how great, right? The only thing better than watching the Colts today is watching the Colts and getting paid for it, right? I mean, what a phenomenal job. And so I went to college thinking that that was what I wanted to do. And so I, that was probably about the first year or so. And, and for some reason that began to wane. And I thought, well, maybe it's not sports broadcasting. And then I thought, I know I want to be an attorney. I went to school in 1992. And does anyone know what movie came out in 1992? Lots of them. A few 
good men, right? And so I, I still had some of that in my head. And so I, I imagined myself in front of the courtroom with the jury kind of listening and me swaying them left and right and me retorting to people who said, you can't handle the truth and all of this good stuff. This is what I want to do. So I went to Washington, D.C. I spent a semester in Washington, D.C. Uh, walking or, or, or interning with an attorney because I thought this is for sure what I wanted. And that was all it took for me to know this was not what I wanted right? No offense to our attorneys out there, but it wasn't me. So, but I spent enough time in DC that I said, oh, okay, I know what I want. I want to be in politics. That's actually what I want. So I, I applied to grad school to go to, to, to do political science. And so I, I thought this is what I'll, I'll try to change the world by, by being a politician or working in politics and making laws and doing these other things. And that was great. And then for some reason that began to wane a little bit. And so my mother, of course, at this point, right, she's like, just pick something, right? She didn't even care anymore. And I said, no, I think I think I want to be a professor. That's what I want to do. And I was loved grad school. I loved studying. I thought this was great. And you could lecture. I, I always pictured myself. This is true. I'm weird. I pictured myself in front of this roaring fireplace, right? And, and there I was with my tweed coat and my little elbow pads and I, I smoking a pipe. And, and my other uh, underlings were all underneath me, just kind of in awe of all the things I was saying, right? I, I was clearly not going to teach humility. I was teaching something else. But I knew that 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 was what I wanted. I thought this was great. And when I went to seminary, I went to seminary to become a professor. I've told some of you this before. And I wanted to be a professor. And that was what it was. But the problem was that my particular seminary, I had to do an internship at a church. And I did not want to do it at all. But I knew I had to do it. And so I said, let's get it over with. So the very first summer after my uh, first year at seminary, I went down to Charleston, West Virginia to get it over with. And that was literally my understanding. I drove into West Virginia. I had John Denver kind of singing in the background on my tape. It, it really was, and it was a tape. And, and, and so I was, I was going in and that's what I did. So I did that in about five or six weeks, probably into it. All of a sudden... I found myself lying in the bed, staring up at the ceiling and not being able to sleep. And the reason why I could not sleep as hokey and weird as it sounds is because of the fact that I was starting to wonder, I was starting to imagine what it would be like to be a part of a community that believed, that genuinely believed what Jesus said about the kingdom of God being near and about the good news of the gospel. And I started to wonder what would it be like to be a part of a community that really believed that they should be doing the same sorts of things that Jesus was doing when he was here on earth? What would it look like for a church to really believe that Jesus was active and alive? What would it look like? Would it, would it look like them going out and sharing food and Jesus with the hungry? Would it look like partnering with the people who said, hey, there is hope even for the most addicted of us? Would it, would it look like us being hospitable and loving our neighbors and our enemies and the least of these. I began to think more and more about all the remarkable things that could happen if we were really a church that was really doing what Jesus said and that really believed that the kingdom of God was here and that we were to participate in it. And because of that, I could not sleep. And by the time that night was over, one night... 
I knew not only that I wanted to be a part of a church like that, but much to my surprise that I wanted to pastor a church that would be interested in doing those sorts of things. I had grown up in the church. I had grandpa and uncles that were pastors. My mother had asked me repeatedly if I ever wanted to be a pastor. I had never wrestled with it because I had absolutely no desire to do it. And in one night, I sensed the call of Jesus and there was no going back. And it is for that reason and that reason alone that I am not nearly as surprised as some are that these disciples dropped everything and decided to follow Jesus. Because if they heard and if they believed even one ounce of what Jesus was saying, that the kingdom of God was near and that the good news of the gospel was real and was here and was happening, then of course they decided to leave everything. If they knew that they could participate in the larger kingdom of God, if they could live lives that mattered and that made a difference, then of course they decided to leave everything to follow him. In fact, what is perhaps crazy or what would have been crazier is if they had decided to simply stay where they were when they knew they had an opportunity to join up with what Jesus was doing. Because what I have discovered is that when people begin to get a sense of the call of Jesus in their lives, it is too exciting to just keep doing what they have always done. There is an excitement about following the call of Jesus. There is an excitement about believing that you are participating in the coming kingdom of God. And it is that excitement, it seems to me, that allowed those four men to simply leave everything and go. It was that kind of excitement, quite frankly, that allowed me to say, forget everything else, perhaps this is exactly what I want to do. And let's be clear. It wasn't that I didn't enjoy being in the church. I mean, you would think if someone who was happy with the church might want to think about being a pastor. And I, I was happy with the church. I, I liked going to worship, even as a kid, right? I mean, I enjoyed going to worship. I, I liked having friends at church. I, even, I, I wasn't afraid of being on committees and talking about what we were doing. That was all fine. I was happy. But being in the church never excited me. Because by and large, we got together. The kingdom of God wasn't near. The kingdom of God was what happened when you died and you went to heaven. And by and large, when we got together to talk about what we could do as a church, it was really about what we could do to make our church a little bit better, what we could do to try to get in some more people, what we could do to kind of increase our budget. There was never a sense that what we were doing was about helping to bring about the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. There was never a sense of our being a part of a greater mission. And the thing that changed everything 
was when I began to see that this is not about being happy in church or being happy as fishermen. This is about the difference of whether or not you understand that you are called to follow Jesus. Wherever it takes us, wherever it goes and whatever he asks of us. And that is very, very different than being concerned about whether or not we are happy as a church. I know that there are times, and part of the reason why I want to tell you this or talk about this is is so that you will understand me. There are times when I can stand up here and I can be pretty harsh. There are times when I can be pretty strong and pretty heavy about the fact that we need to be about more than just ourselves. I love, and I've already used it before, that Bonhoeffer quote that says, the church is only the church when it exists for others. And I realize that it can get kind of annoying at times when I keep asking us to make sure we are genuinely loving our neighbor, that we are caring about more people than are within these four walls. I know it gets annoying because I get annoyed with myself at times even. But I want you to know the reason why. And the reason why is because that night when I could not sleep, It wasn't because I was thinking how great it would be if I could pastor a large church. It wasn't because I was like, oh, if I was a pastor of a church that had big buildings, how incredible would that be? It was because of the fact that I wanted to be a part of a church that was genuinely making a difference in its community. Because if all I was thinking about was having a big church and having people who were happy and went home thinking, okay, here's 10 things I can do to help myself have a happier life, then I would have rolled over and fallen back asleep. I hope you're happy, but that isn't what's most important to me. What's most important to me is that you are willing to follow the call of Jesus like these four disciples did, no matter the cost. Because that means that you are making a difference in this world for Christ. Am I happy that our attendance in this past year has gone up? Am I? Well, of course I am, right? I'm human. But it's nowhere nearly as exciting to me, as kingdom exciting as it is to me. When I get to talk to somebody who is newer to this flock in this past year and who begins to say, you know what? I have begun to start looking at my particular call as a call. My particular job is something given to me by Jesus. And I've begun to ask, what does it look like for me to see things through the eyes of Jesus? That is kingdom living. I am happy that our budget is doing well right now. Don't stop giving. (laughs) But nowhere near as exciting as that, or much more exciting than that, is when last month I talked to a guy who comes up and hands me a check and said, you know, not long ago, I would have kept this for myself, but but now I'm seeing I need to give it away. Or, Or when I began to hear last month about the amount of money coming into the food pantry, That's kingdom living. That keeps me up at night. I am happy that we have over 200 people signed up for home groups. We have 201, huh? But it sounds cooler to say over 200. (laughs) 
But I am genuinely happy about that. But I am much more excited about Doug Connor, who two weeks ago from right here said that his home group that he'd been in all fall had helped him to get beyond superficial relationships and start really getting to know people because that's where discipleship happens. I am happy when I hear about our seniors in high school who got into a college or university. And I know that the parents are very happy about that. But I am much more excited when, as I heard from one of our seniors a few months ago, that her repeated trips to Mexico with ZPC have helped to change what she thinks she wants to do when she gets out of college. She has begun to feel the call of Jesus. I am happy when you all are happy at ZPC. It is much easier for me than when you are not happy. But I also know that when Jesus went to the Sea of Galilee and he called those four disciples, what he didn't say was, are you not happy in the fishing boat and at the net? Then come follow me. No, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Come and follow me. That, sisters and brothers, is our call. And I hope and pray that in the days, weeks, and months, and years ahead, that each of you would feel that sense of that call. That you are called by Jesus to follow him. And that we are called by Jesus to see everything that we do as a part of the greater kingdom of God. Do we believe that the kingdom of God is truly near? When Jesus says, follow me, will we listen? Amen.